0: and welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works. Here today for a flagship episode, this is Tom Adams. And today, once again, the dynamic duo is back together. I am joined by BPW and BFW's infamous He Who Shall Not Be Named, I Need No Name. In, how are you doing halfway across the globe as is always the case when we join up for these episodes?
1: Yeah, I'm doing fine. I was just getting ready to go to bed and then suddenly Tom says, hey, I'm at home, we can just record right now. And I'm like, Okay. Fine. So it is around twelve thirty a.m. here, and I am recording. My dad is at the other room watching Netflix. So it says my internet connection is unstable, and I'm like, okay, sure, whatever you say, man. And um, here I am talking about buying Munich.
0: Yeah, exactly. I just for some context, I should explain to the listeners. It is very rare that I'm home on a weekday at this time. It's roughly two fifty-five Eastern Standard Time in, in Connecticut. Here, just woke up feeling a little bit south. Uh, wasn't COVID, but uh, as is often the case now in these times, don't want to go into work and risk uh, infecting anyone with a little bit of a cold. So that's why I'm home. And it dawned on me that I should bug uh, in to do this episode early instead of waiting until what would have been late at tonight for myself. And again, have to uh, have to give him all the thanks for staying up late and dealing with me uh, and all of my uh, my my Liverpool antics that comes with the Bayern podcast. But nonetheless, that's why we're here. We have a lot to digest. It seems like quite a bit has happened in a short period of time, but. We thought that we'd start today just talking about Julian Nagelsmann and some of his tactics. I think in the past couple of weeks, you know, if we backtrack a little bit, the 1-1 draw with Bayer Leverkusen, smashing RB Salzburg in leg 2 of the round of 16 in the Champions League 7-1, coming back, drawing Hoffenheim 1-1, and then this past weekend in beating uh, Union Berlin 4-0 pretty handedly. And we've seen a lot of different tactics, a lot of different things. Ahead of Union Berlin, we lost Benjamin Pavard to coronavirus. Niglasula to injury. Nagelsmann really had to switch things around, revert back to a back three, and we saw a centre back pairing that we've never seen before in Dio Upamecano and Tanguy Nianzu against the uh, against Union Berlin And a lot of us, when <laughs> we saw the team sheet for that, knowing that it would probably be that, were a little bit nervous. But obviously kept a clean sheet. Manuel Neuer became the winningest player in the Bundesliga, which was a huge milestone for him. But but in just just kind of looking at everything tied together, we've had just a various random slew of results with those past couple of matches I've mentioned. We've looked good. We've looked bad. We've shown our defensive frailties. We've shown that we can continuously score goals. But if you're kind of just to pinpoint something with Nagelsmann's tactics over these past couple weeks, is there something for you that's glaringly obvious that's working and not working or is what's not working kind of overshadowing what is working at this point in time? What exactly do you see there?
1: Well, I think that what's becoming apparent in these last few weeks is that Nagelsmann himself is starting to move away from the back three. Like, it is changing. We saw against Union, that was very much a back four, Maybe a slight adjustment with like a slight back three hybrid, but more or less a back four as we're used to with kemic dropping deep between the center backs and helping them progress the ball and whatnot. And I don't think that was just a product of, you know, Sula and Pavad being out. I think Nagelsman is deciding to shift. We saw all the good stuff about the back three in the seven-one win over RB Leipzig. Sorry, RB Salzburg. I keep mixing those two up. And we saw the all the issues I think with the back three in the draw against Hoffenheim. Right after that, because you know it's not exactly a stable formation, and the results just have not been consistent. And because of that and because of the fact that it really does look like our team is much more accustomed to the back four I think Nagelsmann has started to you know he's just started to give in a little and he's decided okay this change is clearly not working maybe later I will try this again but for now let's go back to the back four and let's just stick with that and you know the reason I say this is because the reason big story is that we have John Villarreal in the Champions League, and Champions League is now the big looming question for Julian Nagleton. Can he, with such a favorable draw, can he move forward in the competition and make sure that in it go as far as the squad quality suggests? So that is pretty much the question.
0: Right, and we should add that if they do get past Villarreal, the next, you know, in the what would be the uh, semifinals would be either benfica or liverpool so you'd have to expect right in obviously that it would probably be liverpool in liverpool though uh you know benfica showed that they were no slouch when we faced them twice uh in the group stages so you're absolutely right he'll have to have his tactics on point and we still have i believe after this international break one bundesliga match against sc freiburg who have proven to be a very very tricky side under christian strike this season so that's going to be a difficult test before that first leg against against Allen. Looking, I know we've talked briefly about the defense, you know, there's a constant debate between the back three and the back four, what seemingly worked and hasn't worked in our past couple of matches, because I think, especially before Manuel Neuer came back, that really, you know, exposed our defensive frailties, regardless of if it was a back four or back three, it just seemed like we couldn't keep a clean sheet in no disservice or no discredit to Sven Ulrich. I think he deputized well and did what he had to do, but there is that added bit of confidence uh, in the defense, when you have Manuel Neuer between the sticks and, you know, kind of commanding and making those shouts, of course, had a few of uh, his typical Neuer heart and mouth moments against Union Berlin, but was able to keep the clean sheet. And I think now is has more than Oliver Kahn, if I recall correctly. But in what about attack? Because we've seen so much of Leroy Sané is a player that I've been highlighting in particular. You know, we've seen how much of a resurgence he's had when Hansi Flick kind of consulted with Julian Oggsman and said, hey, move him to the left instead of the right and see how this how this works and we saw how much it did. He started to flourish from that left flank, but we've seen him kind of as like on the right uh, or just behind Lewandowski and in between Thomas Muller or Serge Gnabry, Kingsley, Command, whoever it is, given a starting lineup that we've had. But w- like, and I know I've referred to this before as the all out attack lineup. Is this something that you think he's going to continue or is he going to have to take more of a pragmatic approach, especially in the champions league, uh, which is now, you know, a very gung ho competition with the fact that there are, No away goals rule really you have to take care of business and there's not no really playing for a draw as much as there was so to speak when this when the away goals rule was still in effect you know do you think we'll see this all-out attack or do you think he's going to kind of reel it back add perhaps an extra holding midfielder assuming taliso's healthy leon Goretzka's working his way back we saw mark roca come on against union berlin musiala who he's played in that position even though a lot of people like myself agree that he's a better attacker um, I know that's kind of a loaded question.
1: So um, it's hard to predict what Nagelsmann will do because I never thought that he would go so hard into the back three to begin with. But based on how player interviews have gone and based on how Nagelsmann himself seems to be selecting the team, I think the back three is not going to survive after the point where Alfonso Davies comes back. And I'll tell you the reason. The reason is, first of all, we have Joseph Stanisic back right now, and that gave Nagelsmann an option to have an attacking fullback on the right who can slightly do what Alfonso Davies does on the left. Not completely, but slightly. And that allowed him to go with a back four against Union Berlin that he was confident would still provide Bayern the width. Why isn't he confident that a normal back four wouldn't provide the width without Davies? Well, the answer is because of Leroy Sané. Now, you tell me where Sané plays in the normal, standard back four of Bayern. He plays not exactly as a left winger. He plays as a sort of left attacking midfielder, kind of next to Thomas Muller. So, With that setup in mind, if you play a normal back four and without Davies, someone like maybe Richards or Hernandez, if you play that, then you're going to get an extreme deficiency in width on the left-hand side. That's why we saw against Union, Sani was moved to the right which is not his best position. And we saw him struggle a little. But who did we see on the left? Kingsley Coman. One thing that Kingsley Coman has proven over the course of these last few months is that he does not need a fullback to provide with. He can do it by himself. So when Davies comes back, Davies will take over that Kingsley Coman role. And then Sané can be, once again, moved back to the left. Coman can go to the right. And Coman will have Pavard probably behind him who does not really provide width, but Coman does not need a uh, fullback to provide width. So once that happens, I don't think there is any reason for Nagelsmann to persist with a back three. He's done it so far so that he can get as much attacking talent onto the pitch as possible, but there is no need for three wingers on the pitch when you have Davies, who is an extra winger by himself.
0: Yeah, and we should add that. After the international break, if all scans go positively, we could be seeing him, if I remember correctly, either in the first or the second leg. The second leg is
1: what we were told by Nagelsmann, but I'm hoping that this is just like very conservative and we will see him a little bit sooner. He seems to be doing, he seems to be making good progress and he, he is like a very sturdy kind of guy. Like he's very fit and I hope that he comes back very quickly.
0: Yeah, of course, it's one of those issues. You know, this is a guy who routinely sets Bundesliga records every other, pretty much every other week. But, you know, it's nothing to be taken lightly with the, uh, the myocarditis that was found after the scans, after he had the uh, coronavirus. But, and I think all the points that you made are, are very solid. And in my mind, I'm kind of thinking too, you know, with what you were t- uh, telling about having the fullbacks and Sane and Koman and their need versus not a need to have that behind them. Even Coman, I thought he really had his way down that left channel against Unyan, and in my mind I'm like what's not to say that he could have just done that on the right but I'm sure uh in Nagelsmann's mind there's a trust issue there and he would have trusted you know Sané uh or Ganabri had he started perhaps more than Coman on that right side ahead of Stanisic so perhaps it's a trust and a communication issue but in my mind I'm like you you take Coman you put him over to the right in that situation I think he's going to have his his way just as much as he did on the left.
1: Well, I think the reason why he put Sané on the right is so that Sané could still operate as a kind of pseudo number 10 style of uh, winger that he's been playing so far, but just on the right. Because if we look at the how the past maps were shaping up, Stanisic was actually going very far forward, almost like a right wing back instead of just a right back. And that's why those decisions were like made. And you also have, you know, on the right, it's just generally easier for a winger to do the job of scoring and assisting on the right. I mean, you tell me, where does Mohamed Salah play for Liverpool? He plays on the right, right? Yeah, so yes. Even though so he's left that's footed. how it Phenomenal. is. And and for us as well, um, Ari and Robin. So it's like yeah. both sides of the pitch are not created equal. The number of goals are generally, you generally see a lot of wingers scoring goals on the right-hand side of the pitch. So because of that, I think that that's why Nagelsmann decided it's easier on the right for Sane. And if he has the support of Muller and Muziala with him, whereas Coman is perfectly comfortable keeping everything secure on his side by himself, that's why he decided to go with those particular setups against Union. Whereas once Davies comes back, the situation completely flips. Suddenly you can now put Coman back on the right or even Gnabry there. But I think Coman is the better option right now. And you can put Sané back on the left without losing anything because, you know, Davies is just a monster. He's like, like literally entire teams have to change his complete offensive and defensive game plan just to deal with him. Like, if you don't, if you give him any kind of space, he will rip you to shreds. And that is one thing that we really need in the Champions League going forward this season. Like, I find it like a really huge advantage that we got via Real. Like that means that in the first leg, Nagelsmann can do whatever nonsense he likes to do and we can hopefully not lose. I hope it's at least something like a draw so that we can take something to the Alliance and then at the Alliance we can hopefully win and then go through to the semis and then whoever we face in the semis, by that point, I hope we have Goretzka and Davies back. Speaking of which, I want to ask you this. Goretzka, Mm -hmm. do you think he walks back into the eleven? Because I do not.
0: At this point, I don't think he does. I think walking back into the team, even if he's deemed fully fit by our physios, by himself and by Nagelsmann, I think it's too much of a risk. I don't think he has the proper minutes under his belt. Yes, he can stay back at Strasse during this international break. Did he get called up to Germany? I don't think he did.
1: Did he? I don't know. Uh, even if he did, yeah, I mean, like, it, w- it doesn't it doesn't make a difference because playing for Germany is like playing for Bayern. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I think Hansi Flick will obviously have known his injury record and, and the fact that he's yeah. just was on the bench for the first time uh, against union Berlin since uh, aggravating that patellar tendon issue. But yeah, I think in, it's too much of a risk to just thrust him right back in. I think you can put him on the bench Actually, against Freiburg and against that's both. That's like, not like, exactly uh, what union. I'm
1: talking about. I'm talking about like, does he get his spot back once he is fit? Oh, once he's fully
0: fit. Um, I think eventually, as long as there's a sustained period without aggravation of that patellar tendon, you know, right? We 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 want to backtrack a little bit to the Runda. It seems like he may have been rushed back for that 3-2 Der Klassiker win, and that might have been the wrong decision, seeing the injury record that he's had with that patellar and It might have been better off just to rest him for a little bit longer, and we might have avoided this issue altogether. But um, I, I think it's going to be a while. And the more of a the, the longer we have a lead in the Bundesliga, the less there's a need to just thrust him right back in. Uh, I, I guess would be a, a way to say it, but. I think that 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 place, honestly, and I'm sure Nagelsmann has said this to him and made it clear that that spot is his to win back. It might have been his coming into the season and somebody else's to take, but I mean, I don't think even in the Hinrunda, he was having the best of performances, not the worst by any means, but I think that's a spot that he has to win back, especially with the fact that Tolisso is healthy and Mark Roca is healthy, Musiala is healthy, and Nagelsmann has that preference to play him alongside Joshua Kimmich as that double pivot even though they might have different tendencies for holding and going forward. Obviously, we know that Kimmich is more apt to naturally adapt or, um, excuse me, naturally play out that number six role and be the holder. But he goes forward, too. So uh, I think to answer your question, it's his spot to win back. I mean, he has to do enough to convince Nagasman that that spot is his and should be his long term once he is fully fit. And I'm not sure if you agree with that or if you have any other thoughts on that, but I definitely would like to hear that your side of that.
1: The thing is that my side is that it all has to be based on who is better for the games at hand. And again, I have to ask you this. You are a Liverpool fan and we are likely to face Liverpool in the semis if we get through VRL, which I will never stop saying because it is not taken for granted. I have to mention that. But if we get through VRL, we'll probably face Liverpool. And you tell me the... Liverpool midfield, Fabinho, Thiago, and whoever else. Would you rather face Kimmich and Musiala or Kimmich and Goretzka?
0: It's a tough one, um, especially since Klopp has really been. He's even been throwing in Nabi Keita quite a lot, starting him in the Champions League. Oh, come on, you uh... guys. Really? <laughs> Uh yeah he's been starting I mean yesterday was the FA Cup this is a different story yeah I starting, don't need uh, to know that come on man this uh, <laughs> is a great match It's a great match and the city ground at Nottingham Forest is great atmosphere which I'm always a fan of but it's tough to to answer this question as someone who's a little bit biased to both clubs as it stands I would rather Kimmich and Goretzka just because I know Goretzka's is not fully fit but fully fit I would say probably Kimmich and Musiala just because. We have enough of that defensive stability with Fabinho always sitting just in front of Van Dijk and Matip, or it might even be Kanate on the night if Matip isn't available. I think he was recently ill, a non-COVID illness, but you'd have to suspect it'd be Trent and Robertson on either side if it comes to that, if it's Bayern, Liverpool in the semifinals. Obviously, that's what it would be if all those guys are healthy. And I just think that, that uh, Musiala poses less of a threat on both sides of the ball against Liverpool, uh, than he would, say, Villarreal or uh, a Bundesliga opponent because, obviously, the Liverpool back four and Fabinho and Thiago and Henderson and Naby Keita, whoever's sitting just ahead of him, is a little bit different than most of the opponents that Bayern would be facing uh, in the Bundesliga and an entirely different complex to Villarreal without any sort of disc, discredit to Villarreal whatsoever at all. So if that is
1: I get it. I get it. I guess that is fair. But I still think the jury is a little bit out on that. And Maziala, he has been improving rapidly in terms of his midfield duties, as far as I can tell. And I think that maybe in four, three or four more games, he could have that spot locked down. Because we saw that assist he played fra- to Robert Lewandowski oh, against yeah, that, was and that was a beautiful sequence. Big, beautiful move by Thomas Muller. And we saw also that as soon as Muziala got taken off by Nagelsmann, our attacks just stopped dead. Like, we stopped getting any real shots. We stopped getting any real threat on their goal. Incisive passing, all of it just stopped. And it's not like Muziala was... Doing all those things by himself when he was on the pitch, but he was facilitating it with his yeah, It runs, became evidently clear at one point that yeah. it was just
0: gonna be 4-0 and we weren't gonna get the Yeah, fifth, weren't gonna we weren't gonna do no anything to anymore. Imagine.
1: So when you see that, and I think that it means that he is really growing into that role as just the guy who links the defense and the offense. And once you add that to also, Alfonso Davies, who himself used to link defense and offense. I think the Bayern Munich that will shape up after this international break will be a lot more dangerous in multiple directions than the Bayern Munich that just went away. Of course, we know that Goretzka himself is kind of good at that as well, but not as good as I think we have seen other so far and the player that Moseala can grow to be. So based on that, I think Nagelsmann might try someone like Kimmich and Muziala more often in mid- in midfield, even in the later stages of the Champions League, like it's a, it's a risk. I I don't deny it, and um like there are no, I I think that at this stage there there is nothing Nowitzki can do that is not a risk in my opinion. So he he might have to take that risk.
0: Yeah, and especially I mean such is the nature of becoming manager of FC Bayern. mentioned, you know uh what was it Oliver Kahn was talking about how Mehmet Scholl? I think he was talking about. Uh, Upacano specifically, it's like the minute you put on that FC Bayern jersey or the FC Bayern shirt from a managerial perspective, you know, it weighs an extra 10 kilos with the pressure that comes with it. I mean, you're always going to be under the proverbial microscope uh, in the German press. And you know, and since we've spent so much time talking about Bayern's midfield, I think it's a good place to segue into some recent transfer rumors that we've had, because I think it's been evidently clear to all of us with Niklas Sula leaving the summer for Borussia Dortmund that the top priority is a center back and a right back and covering for that loss. And I think it's ironic that Sula is having a pretty pretty solid season after he said, both before and after, he's made it clear that he's going to be leaving on a free transfer at Borussia Dortmund. And kind of out of nowhere, but not really. Uh, if you draw everything together, it's it's come out that we've put in a 15 million euro plus 10 million add-on bid for Ajax's Ryan Gravenberg. And he seems to be the first player that we've formally uh, kind of aggressively gone after, even though he's been linked with us. Matthias Ginter uh, has been linked with us. Uh, a, a number of different players. Uh, Pedro Poro, as of recent, seemed to have popped out of nowhere. Uh, and even, uh, what's his name again? In Mazraoui. Am I pronouncing it right? Yeah,
1: Mazraoui. Yeah. Apparently, I don't know about pr- pronunciation. I don't, I, until Derek Ray says it on, on air, I don't know how these names are pronounced. So,
0: as we had discussed, I think a couple episodes ago, there was definitely, uh, yeah. it seems like a lot of substance so in that meeting between Raiola and Oliver Kahn.
1: Yeah, so basically uh, what is being said is that part of Bayern's reason for bidding aggressively on Ryan Gravenberge, which we've now seen like an official bid has been submitted, 15 million right. plus add-ons or something. So that is because Bayern are trying to get his agent, Raiola, to steer some more clients toward us. And Masraoui is also, you know, he is represented by Raiola and we have tried to upend Barcelona's deal with him by offering him pretty much identical terms. And now it's just up to him really. And maybe his agent will just have a word with him, say, hey, this is this is a better place to go and they'll go to that FCB, they stink. And, um, you know, that is kind of, how it's shaping up to be, and also the Pedro Poro and the Spence. Um, I think, what is it, David Spence or someone? You, you yeah, guys, from, played, uh, against, you guys played against him. Uh, Liverpool just played against him, didn't he? Yeah, and he did quite well, quite yeah. well. So uh, he he is also in the running, and I think the reason for these guys being in the running, not only so that Bayern has multiple plan Bs, is to put pressure on Masraoui to actually make up his mind and decide where to go soon, and it's like a multi multi prong strategy going on here. Whereas with the center back, you know, the center back rumors, I really don't know what's going on, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. Like uh, Rudiger, he is being tapped up by Juventus as far as I can tell. Andreas Christensen is on his way to Barca and we don't have any intention of bidding for him as far as I can see. And I mean, I'm happy with that. I don't want either of those players. But the problem is that our fallback option is Matthias Ginter, who is just <laughs> oh my God. Um, look, I i don't hate Ginter. I think he is a perfectly serviceable defender. He's a solid seven out of ten player, but like solid players don't don't last it behind Munich. They don't do anything at our club. He he's at somewhere like you know Gladbach, but here he, he here he he wouldn't do anything. Like we put him on the bench, and then the coach would maybe field him once or twice, and then he'd say, "Hey, I don't have oh, any good players on the bench for myself." And instead, like instead of relying on someone like Inter, why not just give Tongi Nyonzu more time? Like we saw against Unión, can be great. Uh, both build and kicker were in agreement that he was like an amazing performance against union and that's rare for them to give a foreign player that much praise and also bfw itself we all liked his performance he didn't really have any mistakes and he you know if he puts in performances like that i don't see any reason why he can't come in for someone like sula and like dominate next season so and 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 i also forgot there's also Chris Richards at Offenheim, who we still own, and he is coming back. And it seems like the plan is to sell him. I don't get that. Like, if we need him, why not just bring him here and keep him? And if you want to sell him, then why is Ginter on the purchase list? Yeah, it's almost like, you know, we
0: had this huge worry. We're losing Zula, and now it's just like a giant merry-go-round of defensive transfer prospects. And, you know, Hassan Salihamadzic, Herbert Heiner, and Oliver Connor at the front you know, in like conductor's hats, steering that, that ship, so to speak. And there's just so many moving parts. And interestingly enough, before we uh, came on air here, and I was listening to Gagan Pressing's most recent episode where Manuel Veth, uh, Stefan Biankowski and Kerry Hall were talking about Ginter and his links to Bayern and the fact that he's leaving Borussia Gladbach on a free transfer this summer. And they were kind of saying the majority of Bayern fans they're speaking with kind of really consider him just almost in the same vein as you in that, He's just a complete emergency option if all else fails, considering that he would be free. Uh, he is a little bit on the older side, and, and most fans don't think he matches up to the Niglasula caliber. So, you know, there's also that, and there's reports that have said Tangi Nyanzu will likely be loaned out this summer. Uh, there's also reports that say now that we're going in for Masrawi, uh, sorry if we're butchering the, the name there, and Gravenberg, and perhaps even Pedro Porro. Why not just shift Benjamin Pavar to a center back's role? Because we know through his time at uh, B. Stuttgart, that's where he predominantly played, uh, as well as at Bayern in a kind of uh, center right or left, if you will, of a back three, perhaps even a wing back. So there's always the option option to move him to a center back's position if we start doing more often a back four, which you know remains to be seen I mean, whether Knobsman will continuously guess, do that. So, there's
1: so many moving parts. It does put a lot of pressure on the ball together. Proper right back in. And like, let's just say this that buying quality right backs are few and far between, and finding them is not easy. Like, we are used to Philip Lam, we're used to Joshua Kimmich. So, um, even the Mazraoui we land him, and he's very highly rated. He's rated higher than serginio Dest, who he had on the bench while they were both at, you know, um Ajax. IAC. I- so the thing is, even if he comes in and even if he's good, he may not. Satisfy our needs, and then we might have to look even further. And at that point, it it's just it keeps compounding, and. In the midst, I should of that, I should add too. To yeah, yeah. Um, I don't
0: want Spence to be another Omar Richards, a guy with a great track record in yeah, the Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he comes and he That's, doesn't get the proper chances.
1: That that is something I think Nogglesman needs to be criticized for. And I don't know if we have time for this topic, but I keep saying that Nogglesman, instead of his constant experiments with the back three, he should have instead experimented with just these guys who he sidelined, just put them in for alfonso Davies or put them in for Nikola Zula. Like these guys, like Neonzu and Paul Wanner and Omar Richards, these guys just, they can just slot in into our standard back four formation and they can do the job, which they have shown. And it seems that Noggleman, it's kind of rich to hear him say that the only uh, nine or 12 players will get normal regular minutes because they are doing the best because Like, these guys are not that bad. Like, Brazil has done his own work and he's gotten good young players on the team and and Nagelsmann, by refusing to use them. He's sabotaging both himself and the club because if Neonzu, he he didn't get any minutes this season and he was fit and we are seeing that if he had gotten minutes, maybe he would be a proper first team option for us by now. Like, he was getting, he was looking good at the beginning and now we are talking about loaning him out at the same time where we're talking about signing a center back in the transfer window like that's just poor planning like when you have a young talent like him shouldn't you be relying on him instead and obviously the argument that's going to be made is that you you need to give these guys minutes otherwise there will be a liability and you can't give them minutes until they have that experience but like we are six points clear in the Bundesliga and we have been dropping points left and right. So like, what is the risk at this point? Dortmund don't seem like they will stay in the title race for more than a week. So just give these guys some minutes. we might not even lose. Like when you have Lewandowski, Muller, Sonic, Oman Gnabry, all the tagging, like what, what is it to have one or two more th- mistakes in defense? Like just take the risk.
0: Yeah. And I would say opportunity breeds experience and in- When you're getting such limited opportunities, the susceptibility to just kind of fold when one or two things go wrong in, you know, a rare opportunity. It's very, very easy for that to manifest itself and make it look like it's far worse than it is. Uh, For example, like, let's say that bad pass that Upamakano had played in the Union Berlin match. I think it was right to Iwonyi or uh, Geraldo Becker, if I recall correctly. If that had been Nianzu, a lot of us might have gone, oh you know, another mistake. Yeah, exactly. you know, why, why, why are we playing him? Because he's not getting those chances. So we're not yeah, seeing exactly. as much of him.
1: And the thing about Uwe is that like he is still young, but he, there was a time when he was as young as Neonzo is today and he was allowed to make those chances and then he, I mean, make those mistakes at, at RB Leipzig. Like it's not like he was mistake free at RB Leipzig. And then eventually he grew from that and he made his transfer to Bayern Munich for 40 million euros. Now here we have Neonzo. This kid is good. He has all the talents to be a top center back, but instead of giving him those chances, giving him those opportunities to make a mistake because every mistake is a learning experience at that age. So when he makes those mistakes, he'll learn, he'll get better. But if it's always just dangling over his head, every time I make a mistake, it is going to kill my play time. I need to be competing with guys who have 10 times more experience than me. Guys who like Bavard and Lucas Hernandez are World Cup winners or guys like Sula who has won the Champions League. If that's the way we want to treat our youngsters, then there is no way any youngster is going to come through. Like, look at Alfonso Davies, for example. Alfonso Davies, when he started playing for us, he was around Neon's age. Like, he spent a year just adjusting to the club environment and then he started playing. But his first performances weren't that amazing. And even and in one of the DFB Pokal games, okay, he, I think he scored an own goal during the game, okay. And we were all like just devastated. We were like, oh no, what are we going to do? Like he was having such a good game and then had that happen. But Kovac was like, it doesn't matter. He played a good game and I want him to attack more. And both Kovac and Flick encouraged Davies during those first few days when he was just starting out getting his first few chances. It wasn't even a surefire thing that he would make the 11. And because of that encouragement, Davies grew. He grew (laughs) through the trouble season. And that accumulated in that you know, that amazing uh, assist. I was going to say goal, but the assist that he got against Barcelona, where he assisted Kimmich and destroyed Semedo. And that was just pure confidence over that skip pass, you know, Messi and then Vidal and then uh, Semedo and then PK and then half the boss of defense. So um, that's what confidence can do to a young player just in a few few months. And we have to remember these guys are not normal young players. They're at Bayern Munich, they are the cream of the crop. So Nagelsmann is just, it's kind of his inexperience showing a little in the sense that he needs to, he thinks that his seniors are the ones that will get him the results and therefore he relies on them, but there is an opportunity cost, not using the youngsters that he doesn't seem to realize or he realizes and he doesn't care about because in the end, his job is about winning.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a difficult balance to strike, but. It is his job to do so. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. And you have to expect that kind of pressure to get those things right. As manager at Bayern Munich and and in, such is also the case for Dimanschap, the German national team. Now, I know, especially for German fans and for a lot of uh, UEFA fans of nations in UEFA that have already qualified for the World Cup, this upcoming international break isn't as exciting Uh, for Germany. It's only two friendlies, the first of which against Israel on the 26th of March, and then uh, the second against the Netherlands on the 29th of March. Obviously, we have some World Cup qualifying playoffs elsewhere in UEFA. That will be thoroughly enticing and cagey affairs and very exciting to watch. But in, I know this is, uh, you probably like me. This kind of kills a little bit of the momentum from Bayern Munich, which I don't like. Thankfully, I think it's only uh, Neuer, Muller, uh, Kimmich, I think, has pulled out of the squad because him and his significant other are expecting. And yeah, Kimmich, he'll be
1: back in, so.
0: Yeah, uh, that could be true. And then I think uh, Gnabry. Uh, was in there as well. Musiala, Pnabry,
1: Sane, Mizziala, uh, pretty much our entire German contingent got called up, so yeah,
0: minus uh, Goretzka and Zula. And it remains to be seen whether yeah. Kimmich will meet up with the squad or not. But a, a few, I think, is Anton Stock or Stoch from Mainz. I'm not sure how you pronounce his yeah, name. First call up, Julian has
1: come back. Weigel came from from back. Then, then there's Kerrer who still gets called up, even though he doesn't even play for PSG. <laughs> I forgot he was on
0: PSG, to be honest. I mean, what oh, a meltdown man. that club is going through.
1: You forgot he, he's. He was um, responsible for Coman's goal, remember? Yes, he was linked with us for a while, and I remember how much you hated that. Yeah, oh, (laughs) God, he's so, just so bad. And then there's uh, Julian Draxler, who is also at PSG, also terrible. Uh, Who are the other terrible guys that Hansi called up? Yeah, it's surprising, Oh, Oh, my God. Well, how do these guys get called up? I genuinely don't know if Hansi is just calling these guys up as a show because in the end, the Bayern players are the ones who actually do any heavy lifting on the German. The Bayern players and one or two Chelsea players. Like It's going to take every single trick that Muller has in his 10-year-long career to try and assist Timo Werner over the course I, of the And break, I noticed he so. listed
0: uh, David Raum as a defender as well. I'm not too yeah, David Raum
1: is there. Uh, I think Gosens, is he still injured? I'm not sure. Uh, In, in any case, it David Raum yeah, da- will be uh the left back. Uh, David Raum is good left back. I don't mind that. What I do mind is the fact that he didn't call up Ridley Baku for the right back spot. Like, I don't get that. I don't understand what Hansi's agenda against Baku is. Like, he doesn't seem to like him. I think for these, we're
0: easily in the two matches going to see back lines that we have yet to see under Hansi Flick for Dimanshaft. Just sheerly based off of the personality yeah, it's because
1: like soul is not there and you know Sewell was the main guy in the defense alongside ridiger so someone else will have to be maybe maybe ginter i don't know uh did ginter get called up yes he did yeah so maybe ginter next no
0: i apologize uh I, yes him and then uh christian gunter's name are right next to each other yeah is biggest, is another
1: lineup. option for left back such a there's a lot of options everywhere except the right back spot which is just very barren. I, I I don't even know why Le Baku doesn't get called up. Oh, yeah. And uh, Hansi said that he finds the idea of Muziala as a midfielder very intriguing. So maybe we will see that. Because since Kroos retired, um, Germany doesn't really have that kind of pass master kind of link attack and defense kind of player. Like Kimmich can do it, but he is more of a traditional DM. So I, not, not a traditional DM, but not a... Deep line playmaker like Cross and paired with Muziala, it makes sense. So maybe that'll happen and maybe we'll see Havertz a striker. That's what I'm excited about. Possibly Havertz and Muller double striker formation.
0: But and, uh, what uh, I'm know, most Chuck ex- won't want to hear that over what uh, I you no know, what I want
1: the Muziala. most in my <laughs> opinion. I just I just want I just don't want anyone to get injured. Please, please, please. Yes. It's- I was going to say, in, do you have any that,
0: expectations or realistic uh, I'm glad you know, that expectations Fonzie isn't like, uh, having to
1: play these qualifiers, like these oh, yeah. horrible punk calf qualifiers that are always, you know, I always watch yeah, so the travel,
0: you know, how far they have to travel, the physicality, the terrible. Yeah, wrestling. I
1: sometimes tune in and it's like the, pitches full of holes and they're yeah. like literally tackling him like well, what the hell is going on and he's also one of the best players of Canada so they just focus on him and I'm like oh god what is this like if Bayern he doesn't get that focused on it he still has like three four players on him and they're like it's just like well excuse me and he, Fonzie never pulls out he's young he's Fit. He's strong. He always goes it a hundred percent. Like yeah. because of that, I'm very. I always worry about him whenever he goes to international breaks. And I'm glad he's not going this time. He's just staying in Munich. He's gonna quietly recover and hopefully get back better.
0: Yeah, CONCACAF is its own beast when it comes to qualifying, and it's as someone who's used to watching Bayern and Liverpool week in and week out. It sometimes it's just painful to watch. But in you yeah. know, I, I'm pretty sure that's a a good place to wrap. I know we've discussed a lot. I know we're coming into this international break, so it'll be uh, a little while before we see our next Bayern Munich match, which comes in the form of SC Freiburg in the Bundesliga. So, Ian, uh, unless you had any closing thoughts, which do you?
1: Nope. I My head is empty. It's like 1 a.m.
0: Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, I've kept you up pretty late now, which I feel bad for. Should have probably recognized that we could just bump this ahead instead of waiting until late night my time, early morning your time. But... Nonetheless, we got it done. So everybody, thanks again for listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to and stream to our podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, whatever the hell you use, something that I probably don't even know about. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks, at TommyAdams71, at is it at BFWINN, in, or yeah, in something like B-F-W.
1: that.
0: He'll, he's on there. You'll find him if you search for him. Uh, and anyways, until next time, which will, I don't know if we're going to be covering the German national team friendlies, but if we do, you'll obviously hear them. If it's not that, then it would likely be a preview for the next Bundesliga match against SC Freiburg. So until next time, thanks again. And I'll the same.
1: Yeah. Good night.